It's time to fight the real enemy, not, not each other. You know, it seems very easy to look at, let's say we're Congress. This side's Democrat and this side's Republican. I don't want to offend anybody here, but, but just for... <laughs> We look across the aisle and say, that's the enemy. But the truth is, they, we, are not the enemy. Because John 10.10, Jesus said this to his disciples. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Talking about his sheep. The thief, the, the devil, Satan, he's the prince of darkness. He is conniving and deceitful. He's full of scorn for God and you and your marriage and whatever relationships you have going on. He doesn't want you to succeed, nor does he want your marriage or relationships to succeed. If you think that your spouse is the enemy, you've got it all wrong. If you think that your coworker is the enemy, you've got it all wrong. If you think that your kids or your parents are the enemy, You've got it all wrong. Maybe it's your roommate in college that you're struggling to deal with. They are not the enemy. The devil is. He is the thief in the night, the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Kind of like this. I was watching a video of this yesterday, and I watched it earlier in the week. And it was of this young bull, uh, uh, water buffalo over by a tree. And this male lion just got down like this, kind of like my dog Charlie does. Only he wasn't wagging his tail. And he would just creep up, and he would hunker down in the grass. And that little buffalo, I don't think, had any clue he was there until he finally got up, and he prowled, and he, he got up on all fours, and he wasn't on his haunches anymore until that buffalo turned around at the right moment and he pounced on him. See, that's exactly what the devil does. He will divide you out. He will single you out, just like that little buffalo had no clue. It's not overnight. It's not a one-time deal. He'll continue to divide and, 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 and pull you out of the herd. Whether that herd be a men's group whether that herd be a church group on a Sunday morning. You see, we were created to need each other. We were created to love each other and respect each other. Oh, the devil, he is sneaky like a serpent. Like in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve. Go back and read it if you haven't. Adam was standing right there with Eve when she was tempted, and he said nothing. The serpent worked at making humanity doubt the authority of God's word. That's, that's the true issue. That's the true sin issue that we have. And you say, well, Pastor Brandon, I thought this was about love and respect. Well, we're getting there. But first, we, we, we have to understand that, that the devil wants to make us doubt 
the authority of God's word. And it's the same then as it is today. We live in a fallen world because the first few humans to walk the face of this earth took the fruit that God gave, that's, he said, don't eat of it. Don't, don't go to that tree. He said, when you do, immediate spiritual death will come. Eventually, physical death will come. But more importantly, eternal separation for me will come. Doing things that we think are right when God says there's a better way, that's what the issue is about. The authority of God's word, the fact that, that God's word has authority over our lives, if we will submit to it and give in to it, it will teach us to love and respect. The one that isolates themselves from the rest of the flock of the sheep, this is the one whom the enemy goes after. Love and respect. Love is not natural to the man. Respect is not natural to the woman. It just isn't. Uh, they're, they're not natural to us, not in marriage, not in any relationship. That is why God wrote in his word for us to love and respect. The passage we're talking about uh, is Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So you can turn there if you'd like. That's what we're going we're gonna to really focus on today. And, and really, it's about love and respect in marriage. That's what this chapter is about. But there's also application for us for love and respect in life. So if you're a, a blank filler, there's your two blanks. Now I don't have to worry about filling blanks. Um, Ephesians 5.33 says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's one very simple verse. But, but it's a verse that, that ends chapter 5. It's kind of like Genesis 1. It's a summary of what was just said, although Genesis 1.1 is a summary of what God is going to do. This is a summary of what Paul has just said. And he sums it up in, in the, wife must uh, the husband must love his wife as, as, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. To me, the whole passage talks about love and respect. So let's turn to Ephesians, like I said, chapter 5. Verses 21 through 33, and let's read this together, if you would, with me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, the, for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present to, her, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, we started with that video, and, and, and it, I believe it's really fitting because we are, we try to fight the wrong battles in the wrong way. As we've been learning in youth group, and we've been studying apologetics, which is, is how to defend our faith, 
the one thing that keeps coming out in the material is that we need to learn to interpret the world through the eyes of this, not interpret this through the eyes of the world. This needs to be our everything, and the world needs to be our nothing. But we have that back reversed. We make the world everything, and this takes second place. And this is the authority of which we should live our lives because it's the authority of which God gave us to live our lives and make it better. And, and, and it tells us that the devil is our enemy. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to submit? What does that word mean? Well, in the Greek, it means to, be, to obey or be obedient or to bring under control and put in subjection. It, it's written in, in the present verb tense, and that's an action that is, being, that is going on with no sign of its completion. And then you have the fear, the, the, the reverence for Christ. We submit, we obey out of reverence for Christ. And this is not just one of us. This is not just your, your spouse. This is not just your kids. It says every one of us should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence is, is fear or a state of terror. It's a source of occasion of fear. It's reverence, a worshiping respect. Why do we submit to another human out of reverence or fear for Christ? Why the wife to the husband? Why the child to the parents? Why the, 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 the slave to the master? Because if you continue on in, in chapter 6, it talks about children submitting to their parents and, and slaves submitting to their master. Why? Simply put, because God said to, out of reverence for Christ. I want to read what, what fear is. Uh, up here on the back, this is from Roger Ellsworth. Um, and he says, to fear God means to live in reverential awe of who he is and to dread his displeasure. And then he quotes Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon says, fearing God means pay to him humble childlike reverence, walk in his laws, have respect to his will, tremble to offend him, and hasten to serve him. So, oh man, it's been several years ago. I sat down and, and I broke out. What does it really mean to fear God? And, and I took this definition and, and I said, what does it mean to pay to him humble, childlike reverence? Well, what is it to be humble? What is it to be childlike? What is it to be reverent? To be humble is to be low. To understand that your state is in such a place that, that we don't deserve God's grace, as the video said. And neither does our spouse. Neither does our coworker or our brother or si sister. But yet God gave us his grace. To be humble means to be low. To be childlike, well... Just look at a kid. What is it like to be childlike? Innocent. You trust mom and dad because mom and dad are your parents, and they should know more than you. Well, they should know more than you, although sometimes kids think they know more than us. Um, well, at least the older ones. Um, they're innocent. They, they have a faith that, that, just, that just grasps mom and dad know what's best, so I'm going to follow them. What does it mean to be reverent? To be reverent is to honor, respect, submit, and admire who God is. So pay to him lowly, childlike honor. Pay to him lowly, childlike respect. Pay to God lowly, childlike submission. Pay to God, or in this case, Jesus, lowly, childlike admiration. 
We submit to one another out of fear for Christ, out of a lowly, humble, childlike state. Because God says that's what we should do, because this is His authority. And in Galatians 5.21, He says to do so. So in Genesis 3.16, God told Eve that her desire would be for her husband after she took of the fruit and ate, and after Adam took of the fruit and ate. And because this was true, he would rule over her. Now, in the context of this, there's a couple different definitions that can be for desire. It says desire, urges, longing, a very strong emotion or feeling to have or do something. This is a strong desire. It may refer to sexual urges or desires. Or it can be a desire to dominate or just be independent of the man. You see, part of our problem with love and respect is that Adam gave up his place of authority to begin with. He was standing right there with Eve. And he let her do the talking. He let her do the finagling with the enemy rather than being the leader and being the man. And for whatever reason, she took the lead on it and he let her do it. And part of the curse is now that the, that the woman, her, part of her desire is to rule over man, to be independent of man. And if you look at society, you see this playing out. Go back to the 50s and 60s with the women's liberation movement. That's all what that was partly about. It goes back right here to Genesis chapter 3 and the effects that sin has on mankind. God said that man would rule over the woman as part of the curse of sin. There is now a desire in the woman to be independent of man. God created her to be a helper to him and work alongside of him, not separate from him. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You know, this passage is, is like grossly misunderstood, seriously. And, and sitting down and digging deep into the, to the words of this and, and digging into them in, in the original language gives me a better understanding of what Jesus was saying, what God is saying to us as men and to you as women. Submit means, like we said, being obedient to your husband. Uh, not because he is the lording leader, not because your mama said you should. I mean, honestly, my wife's grandma told her that you just pretty much do what the man wants to do. Um, that, that's what she was taught. But that's not what God teaches. That's not what God's word says. You do it because God tells you to submit to your husband. Right here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, this is our authority. But what does it really mean to submit to him? What does it mean that the husband is the head, just as Christ is the head of the church? The head can mean one of two things in this passage. There's actually eight definitions for this Greek word that's used for head. Um, the first couple of these is it literally means head, the body part. Well, we know it's not that. Uh, I think this is where it's misspoken and mistaken. It can mean superior, one of preeminent status, figurative extension of the first entry. But within the context, I think the seventh definition is the right definition. It means to take responsibility for. So husbands, 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Obey your yourselves. Obey your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For husband is the head. He is the one that is taking responsibility for you. Just as Christ has taken responsibility of the church. See, if you read it in that light, it sheds a whole new light on, on why the obedience is there. Because it, it's not obedience to your husband, it's obedience to Christ. It's obedience to God. And, and I know that that is not easy. That is, that, it's not any easier for, for a woman to obey her husband than it is for a, a man to love his wife. There's a reason God commanded the wife to submit and the man to love, or, or the woman to respect and the man to love, because those are naturally the things that we are negative towards. Seven fits within the context of what God is telling the husband to do for his wife. Jesus did not flaunt his superiority of us, and he could have. Jesus was the Son of God. He was God himself, and Philippians tells us that he left his, his godliness his godhood up in heaven and came down 100% God, 100% man and walked the face of this earth so that he could understand what mankind was going through. Yet he lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that we could understand that the enemy that we fight is not each other but the devil himself. He could have flaunted that superiority over us but he did not do that. He showed us that he came to take care of us and our mess called sin. He is the head, the husband is the head, as Christ is the head of the church, not as a superior being, being, but as the one put in headship, but as the one who is taking responsibility for his wife and his family to take care of her as Christ has done with the church, as Christ has done with us, to provide, to protect, to nourish, to cherish. As the video said, None of us deserves grace. Not a single one of us. You can turn to Romans chapter 3 and it'll tell you that. It quotes the Psalms. <laughs> it tells us that there is not any one of us that does good. Not a single one of us. None of us seeks after God, it says. Grace is not getting what I do deserve. It's unmerited favor by definition in the Greek. It's something that I did not do to get Love, respect, submission is not something that your husband deserves. But it's something that God says you need to do. The wrath of God, we deserve that. Your husband, your wife, your roommate, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, we all deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus came and took responsibility for me and for you when he died on the cross. Jesus said in John 15 that if we love him, we will keep his commands. Part of the commands are, is Ephesians chapter 5. If you believe in the authority of all of Scripture, part of that command is understanding that we are flawed because of sin. If the man really would have loved his wife, if Adam would have loved Eve... He would have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God said, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. Devil, get out of here. Serpent, leave. They would have ran from the tree as Joseph did from his temptation. But Adam stood there in an unloving fashion and let the serpent tempt his wife. And in so tempted him. That's not what God desired for us. 
He desired that they keep His command. And they had one command to follow. And that was, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Do it because you love God. Your husband is made in the image of God. Genesis 1 tells us that all mankind was made in the image of God. He deserves your obedience because God deserves your obedience, and you're doing it because you want to honor God, not because you want to honor your husband. You do it because you go back to verse 21. You do it because we are all supposed to submit ourselves to each other as in reverence of Christ. We are all called to submit to Christ, not just the wife, but the husband is called to submit to Christ as well. His headship, his headship should be that of taking responsibility for you, not one of superiority. Guys, her submitting to you is not a reason for you to be superior over her. You are not more superior to her. God created us as equals. Yes, he commanded and told us in the garden that we would be head over her. But that's for us to take care of her, to be responsible for her. Not responsible for her actions, but responsible to provide, to protect, to nourish and cherish, just as Jesus Christ has done for you and I. When he came to die on the cross, he provided for us a way to God, a way to salvation. He protected us from sin by dying on the cross. He, he nourished us with his words and he cherished us enough to die on a cross to take our sin upon himself to provide for us. Guys, it's our, it's our turn. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Follow with me if you will. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. What does it mean to love? Agape your wife. And at the root, at the heart, at the center of that word is agapeo. And it's an unconditional love. It means that the one doing the loving places love on the one being loved without any knowledge of what they've done or haven't done. They love simply because they love them. Not because that, that object has done anything to deserve the love. God loves us not because we deserve it. Husbands, your wives may not deserve to be loved, but you are to love them anyways. Women, your husband may not deserve to be, to be respected, but you are to respect them anyways because you are respecting God. You are loving God when you love your wife, when you respect your husband. I think that's very clear from the passage we're studying right here. And there's other passages we could turn to and look at that would, that would say the very same thing. In fact, Peter says that, wives, if, if you go to the step of respecting your husband, even though they don't deserve to be respected, that you may win them to Christ because you are showing them who Jesus Christ is. 
Guys, I would say this very same thing. If you will love your wives even though they don't deserve to be loved and they haven't done anything to, to, to earn your love, if you will love them unconditionally and they don't know Christ, you will win them to Christ. I think that's very accurate from Scripture. Guys, love your wives. It, love them unconditionally. It's a love that's based on, on what one does, not, but loves it loves not because of choice, but just because they want to love. Your wife may not obey you, but you are still commanded to love her. How many of you love your bodies? Come on, guys. How many, how many of us love our bodies? How many of us love our bodies enough to feed it and give it water? Come on. Be honest. How many of us love our bodies? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I do. I like eating food. I like... Drinking water, well, okay, I really like drinking Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not water so much. I'll be honest. Um, we feed it. We, we provide for our, for our body's needs, correct? When we got married, we became one flesh with our spouse. Why would we not take care of our, our body? She is now part of our body. It's our job to provide, protect, and nourish, and cherish for her, whether she deserves it or not. And it's not your job to say, you need to submit to me, you need to obey my authority. No, that's not your job. That's the authority of Scripture. You don't turn to that Scripture and leave it open for her so she'll read it. That's not love. If you need a better understanding of what love is, look at what Jesus Christ did. That's what this passage lays out. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Christ, Jesus, is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Did you know that truth is a person? The Word is a person. His name is Jesus. If you would take care of your, your own body and you would give it a mental health day or you would give it a sick day or you wouldn't beat yourself up physically or emotionally or mentally, why would you do it to your spouse? Why would you say things to your spouse that would hurt them? And this goes both ways. Why in your relationships... Would you say things to God's people, the ones that he created, that he created with dignity in his image? Would we say things that would hurt other people? Honestly, it's because we're not submitting to the authority of, of God and to his word. Because we've got our perspective turned around and we're using the world to interpret scripture rather than the scripture to interpret the world. That's why we have some of the opinions about politics we do. That's why we have some of the opinions we do about people. That's why we're judgmental as human beings, because we look at people and say, oh, well, that person must be this or that or something else. Because we take our viewpoint from the world and interpret Scripture by it rather than the other way around. And I know lots of us have a biblical worldview, but come on, be honest with ourselves. We call it a biblical worldview, but we're really not interpreting the world through Scripture. We, know, we say abortion is wrong and, and, and sin is wrong, but that's kind of where it ends. 
What it comes down to is, is guys, our wives need us to take responsibility for her as God commands us to. If Adam would have taken responsibility for the woman that God gave him in the garden, and by the way, he was already over her in the garden, but they were co-equal, co-heirs together. He even named his wife as part of the naming process of, of all of the rest of creation. But man, he threw her under the bus. It was a woman you gave me, God. Seriously. She needs us to take responsibility for her as God commands us to. Not as a lording leader, not as a passive leader and sit back as Adam did and just, just let your wife fall into sin. It's not your job to make all of the decisions by yourself. Let your wife help you make decisions. Ultimately, the decision comes down to you, yes. And you will be held accountable for the decision that is made. But you're a team. You're a team. That hasn't changed. Man, Adam was there with, with Eve in the garden. He was silent as the serpent talked to her. He was silent when she took the bite. And he was silent when she handed him the fruit and he took it and he ate of it. This wasn't a case of him talking with his mouthful like, I don't think we should do this, honey. Now he took it, didn't say a word. Until after, he's like, oh man, we better go run and hide. We're naked. God's going to find us out. Well, too late, bud. Guys, far too often in this culture, says it's okay for the man to be passive and to sit back and let the wife have control and let her do all of the stuff of the household. That's not the command of God. Responsibility for her. Help her. Ultimately, the woman is the helper of the man, but guys, we can return the favor. It's not going to kill us to help her once in a while. I mean, if you were at the vertical marriage, I, I should have cut that video and put it up here. Um, Ann and Dave are sitting on the stage, and he hands her, she hands him this little box about this size and says, this is one compartment. Because, guys, we compartmentalize things, right? We have the one little box that we pull out, and we're focused on that at this time. So Dave's upstairs in bed focused on his one little box. She's downstairs trying to wrap up the day and has a, a stage full of luggage bags, her coat, her Bible, that represents all of her thoughts going through her brain. And she brings that all to bed with her every night. The insensitive guy says, feed my needs. The loving husband says, I'll set my needs aside for right now. What's on your mind, honey? How can I be responsible for you? And it's not, a, it's not a, that she wants you to fix those thoughts. She just, she just wants to be heard. As much as you want to be respected, so does she. It's, it's, not, it's not the bent of the woman to be respected like it is a man. It's not ingrained in her, but the love part is. Love and respect go hand in hand. Men and women. Men, submit to Christ so that your wife has someone to show her how to be obedient. If you want your wife to submit and respect you, get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. The authority of God's word. Let it be the authority that runs your life and rules. Not just runs it, but rules your life. It's not about following a bunch of rules. It's about living a life that honors God. 
and that, and that shows dignity to the people around us, whether it's your spouse or, or somebody out in culture, in, in relationship. It's part of being one flesh is loving each other as you would love yourself. Ephesians 5.33 says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Guys, we struggle to love our wives. I struggle to love Nellie. There are days I really struggle to love Nellie. Some days I, I might even struggle to like her. But I made a commitment to her in love. I put a ring on my finger that said, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, no matter what happens, I am going to love her and stick by her side and be responsible for her spiritually to lead her, to guide her, to direct her. Man, I have not done a good job. You can ask her. And I've shared this multiple times, so I know she's okay with me sharing this. There was a day that, that I got home from work, and Anne was still, I don't, she might have been four months in the womb. I don't even know. She, Nellie was pregnant with Anne, and there was a note on our kitchen table, and she had walked out and gone to her parents' house and took their stuff, not expecting to come back, not expecting me to come get her. And it was only by God's grace that I looked at that letter and said, she is absolutely right with how I've been treating her. And this August, we will celebrate 19 years of marriage because I made the choice in my mind to love my wife. Guys, it's a choice. Ladies, it's a choice whether you obey your husband, even if he's not deserving, even if, even if he doesn't deserve the respect. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you catch that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to come around to him. He said, there is nothing you can do to come to me. I'm going to come to you and provide a way for you to show you and give you back the dignity that sin took from you. See, that's the real issue is sin robs our dignity, the dignity that God created us in the image of God, in our personality, in our characteristics, our spirituality. God created us in his image. When we don't love and we don't respect, we damage God's image because your spouse is made in the image of God. So is your roommate. So I want to read from Love and Respect, uh, just a short, a short passage here, because he really talks about the respect part of this. He says, when I talk to wives, they have no trouble grasping the concept of unconditional love. Okay, we, we all have heard about unconditional love, right? We know that's the love that God is. He is unconditional. But after all, they are wired that way. And that's very true. My wife is wired to love. I am wired to respect. That's how we are made. That's how we're created. But when I mention showing unconditional respect for husbands, it's a much harder sell. Few seem to have considered 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. The apostle Peter reveals that husbands who are disobedient to the word, meaning they are undeserving of respect, may be won by respectful behavior. 
A simple application is that a wife is to display a respectful facial expression and tone when he fails to be the man she wants. Did you catch that? A simple application is, a dis- is to display a respectful facial expression and tone when he fails to be the man that she wants or even knows that, she sh- that he should be. She can give her husband unconditional respect in tone and expression while confronting his unloving behavior and without endorsing his unloving reactions. You know what our problem is with this? He talks about a cycle in here, and part of that cycle goes back to, oh, I lost my bookmark, that's all right. Our problem is, not that we don't think of, of respect as being unconditional as we do love, but our problem is, is that we don't pray before we confront our spouse. And so we confront them without love. We confront them without respect, even though we know that we need to confront them and say, hey, babe, what, what you're doing is not right. And ask God to give you the words and, and how to approach that and, and how to be part of that. He may deserve contempt, but that doesn't win him any more than harshness and anger wins the heart of a woman. Interestingly, at first, men don't grasp the idea of unconditional respect either. Wives and husbands believe respect ought to be earned. There's an old saying, respect must be earned. This goes against that, and so does Scripture. Respect isn't earned. It's given because, because God commands us to. Whether, whether, we, whether we like that or not, whether, whether we want to hear that or not, it really doesn't matter because it's in God's Word. We are to respect Submit to one another, love each other, because Christ loved the church, because he calls us to submit and respect and love. How often have we said that respect is earned? I mean, I know I have, yet it should be an unconditional thing. And, and, and so, so let's look about, what about love and respect in life? I mean, I mean that's where we're at now. This, is, this, this series is on marriage and relationships, and so you're not married. So, so how does love and respect apply to my life? Honestly, aside from having the spouse, it's not any different. You are called to submit yourselves to other believers out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of Christ, having that, that, that reverential fear, that, that awe of Christ. And you say, because he loved me, I'm going to submit myself to others because I fear him and I fear, I dread his displeasure. I don't want to see if there would be a sad face, a sad face. We should love God and others because he first loved us. It says that in 1 John four nineteen. Without cause, he loved us just because we are his creation and he desires us to come to himself. There is nowhere in Scripture that it talks about God loving any part of His creation other than humanity. For six days of creation, actually for five days of creation, God said that creation was good. And at the end of day six, He looked at mankind and said, it is very good. And it's not just because it was the last day of creation, it's because He had created man in His image. And it was very good. You see, the enemy will, will overthrow the authority of God and say, oh, 
that person is such a loser. Your spouse, they're rubbing you the wrong way. Why don't you just poke back? You don't need to love them. They're disrespecting you. They're not honoring you. Poke the bear a little bit. It's okay. You don't need your spouse. Marriage is no good anyways. That friendship you're in, that person is such a loser. If you let that go in your heart and in your mind, you'll begin to believe it. Just as Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was good and they took and they ate it. The devil, he's conniving. We respect others because they are created in God's image. You can look that up in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It's not because they deserve it, but because they are God's likeness and creation. We submit ourselves to each other because we fear God. All of this is love and respect towards one another. And by the way, guys, women are not the only ones that need to respect. We need to respect too. And, and ladies, guys need love just as much as you do. We just don't show it the same way. So application. How do I respect him? Because that's a question that, that was answered of me. And it, it just so happens that this was the week David was gone, and this is what I was to preach on was love and respect. And it was four weeks ago that that question was asked of me, asked of me how do I respect my husband? Well, we're going to turn to the marriage talks. Um, you can look at the list up there, and I'm going to read from the marriage talks. Um, this is by Chris Langham. You can find it on the YouVersion app. Um, but if you want to speak to his respect language, and there's, there's a, whole, a whole section, a whole five-day series on love and respect. Um, so I, just, I want to spend some time reading a couple of these one on, on his respect language and then one on love so we get a good picture of what this looks like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's Proverbs 3, 5. And a hundred other verses and psalms and stories all through the Bible say the same. If God has a respect language, I would say that trust is it. Trust his plans. Trust in his love for you. Now, I realize that your husband is not the Lord and he's really not worthy of the same trust. He's human. He tries and fails. Sometimes he barely tries. But remember, show your trust in God through your husband. Believe in your husband. Not in his infallibility. That's, that's not real. But believe in God's calling on your husband's life. And believe in the gifts that God has given him to live out that calling. That kind of faith speaks the world to your man. Speaking from personal experience, when I feel overwhelmed and the world just wants to take me down, everything changes when my wife reminds me that she believes in me. That woman sitting, okay, she got up and, and left. I cannot tell you how many times she has breathed life into me by saying, I believe in you. I believe in your calling and I believe in helping you do your calling. That is why she is as focused as she is in helping in youth ministry. Because we both recognize that we're a team. And the love and respect is mutual between us. And she understands that she can speak life. And you can damage your man 
by a simple look, by a look that says you're worthless. But you can breathe life into him when you speak words and or actions that speak belief of him and his calling and, and what his job is and, and, and what God has asked of him to do as a spouse. It speaks volumes. He goes on to say, I'm not telling you to be a fool or a doormat, and neither am I. Because there are some guys in here that are lording leaders. They hold it over the head of their wives that they're the authority, that they're the man. Guys, that is not the way Jesus Christ calls you to love your wife. That's not me saying it. Go back and read Ephesians 5 again. That is God saying that. That is his authority saying it, not me. So if I have any authority to say it, it's on his authority of reading Ephesians 5 today. I'm not telling you to be a fool or a doormat. If a man lies and cheats, don't trust a liar. But you should still respect him out of respect for God. Because at that point, you're respecting God, not the man. That's difficult, but it's powerful. Or even if he's a decent man, but not a believer. 1 Peter 3.1 tells you that you showing respect for him is a powerful testimony, more powerful than all your words. Because now your unbelieving husband is, in the, is the middle man in a transaction between you and God. It's not just words anymore. When you respect, when your respect for God is channeled through him, there is substance to it and you can't avoid it. But if he is a believer, a decent man and trying his best, your faith in him can give him the confidence to be a better man. Still got those six up there. Let him lead. When you follow and trust his leadership, it does a lot for a man. Number two, communicate trust. Tell him you believe in him, his calling, and his ability. And I know for some that's, that's probably pretty tough. But if you can learn to tell him you believe in him, well, uh, 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 unless, unless you have a hard way of doing that because he's not being a godly man, do your best to communicate trust to him even inside of that. If nothing else, tell him you trust his ability to provide for your family, to protect your family. Number three, support his decisions even when you disagree. You should voice your opinion and he should listen. Guys, give your wife the option, the opportunity to talk to you, to have communication with you, to have conversation, to voice what she is feeling. Because nine times out of ten, when my wife has voiced her opinion, she's right. Actually, it's probably like, more like 9.9 .9 times out of 10, she's right. There's not very often that she is wrong in what she is thinking and what she is feeling about a situation. We need to listen to our spouses. But ladies, on the other side of that, when he decides, even if you don't agree with the decision, you need to support him and show that support for him. Say, honey, I love you. Thanks for making the decision and let it go. Even if the decision comes back to bite him, you need to let it go. You don't come back and rub it in his face and say, see, I told you so, because that just shows that you doubt him. That, that shows that, that you don't trust him. And he needs to know that you trust him, even in spite of his failures, because you know what? You have failures too. We all have failures. Appreciate him. 
uh, praise his accomplishments. Guys, we focus on the wind column. Ladies, learn how to focus on the wind column for your husband. Uh, that's just who we are. If you want to learn how to, to have his back and have his corner, you know, the world beats us down daily, but you are his girl worth fighting for. Remind him of that by cheering him on. He may be out fighting for the greater good, but you are the greatest good he's ever going to get. Oh, man, do I... Man, I don't know what I would do without my wife because I can tell you right now, the man that stands up here and does this is not the man that married her 19 years ago. I was a mess. I was selfish and self-centered. I mean, I still have my moments. Don't get me wrong. But God has used that woman to do amazing things in my life, and part of it's because I chose to listen to what she had to say because God was using her to speak to me. Guys, listen to what your wives have to say. And in doing so, you'll speak love to her. Okay, enough with respect. Let's go to love. Um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The first thing to notice is the Bible's order of operations. The fairy tales all told us to get married because we were in love. That's a worldly perspective. Love is the condition. Marriage is the action. The Bible reverses it. Give love because you're in marriage. Marriage is the condition. Love is the action. Don't miss that. Give love because you're in marriage. Marriage is the condition. Love is the action. Not the other way around. We don't get married because we're in love. And I was in that trap myself. You see, we've got to learn how to change our mindset. We've got to learn how to think according to Scripture and the Bible and, and what it says and how we're supposed to treat each other. Because the way we're treating each other is exactly the way the world treats us most of the time. We're used to thinking of love as something that just happens to you, like winning the lottery or something you fall into like a trap door. But would God really create love as some unstoppable and capricious force of nature? In the Bible, love is a choice. It's actually a verb. And in marriage, it is a thousand choices every day. It is the actions you take and sacrifices that you make for your spouse and your family. Verse 25 says, Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her, Jesus didn't just have fuzzy feelings for us. There is a type of love that's fuzzy feelings. That wasn't it. He served. He healed. He washed feet. He, pers he persevered through hard times. He worked and he laid down his life. He sweat drops of blood. He hung on a cross with barely any flesh on his back after being beaten. In fact, there was so much flesh gone, you could see the ribs. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's the kind of love we should have for each other. In marriage, in life, that's the kind of respect we should have for each other in marriage and in life. Love, love with the five love languages. Words of affirmation. Speak words to your wife that will affirm who she is as a woman. Honey, I love the way you did your hair today. 
If your woman has words of affirmation, that will speak volumes to her. They don't have to be a lot of words. It could be a few words. But that one simple phrase of, Honey, I like the clothes you have on today. Speaks volumes to what you think of your wife. And it will begin to show her that you love her. Um, Acts of service. Vacuum. Find out the thing that she likes the least about housework and do it for her. Because if she's acts of service, that will speak volumes of love to her. And the love and respect go hand in hand. Do the thing that she likes the least. You might get some respect. Should get respect anyways. It's what we've been teaching today. It's what Ephesians teaches us. Receiving gifts. And this, for, for this person, it's, it's typically not an expensive gift. It's not even something you have to go buy. It could be a homemade card. They just love getting gifts. That's what's, If you want to know what your spouse's love language is, and this goes both ways, the things that they do the most for you the majority of the time is probably their love language. So if your wife is constantly speaking words of affirmation to you, it might be because she wants to respect you and shows that she loves you and trusts you. But you might try speaking words of affirmation to her because most likely that's her love language. If you have a spouse that's constantly doing things for you, just out of the blue for no reason, probably an acts of service. If, if you get gifts, just little trinkets, just little cards, notes in your lunchbox, your spouse is probably a, a receiving gifts. Quality time. My wife would come sit out in the shop with me and just sit there. I can be doing something on the computer and she'll watch TV in the bedroom and to her, that's quality time. That looks a little different for each person that has quality time, but dig deep into them. If you have someone that wants to constantly be around you and spend time with you, my guess is their love language is quality time. This works with teenagers too and kids. This works with all of our relationships. It's not just marriage. Physical touch. Um, I mean... I suppose most would say all guys are physical touch, but that's not true. Some guys are words of affirmation. Some guys are, are receiving gifts. And some people have too, so that's like a bonus. Like if you're, if you're the spouse or, or the person that you're trying to love has two love languages, well, now you get to pick and choose how you love them. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come back up. It doesn't matter if it's in marriage or life. No, the Bible doesn't really point out that respect is unconditional other than that we do it because we're called to. So in that case, it becomes unconditional. It's not like love where it's written into the Greek language. But at the heart of Ephesians 5, and if you go on to 6, it talks about other relationships, is love and respect. How you choose to love and respect your spouse is up to you, not up to them. And what it really comes down to is what the video said. Jesus has to be on the throne of your heart. He has to be the center of your life, not you, not your spouse, not your job. Not your kids, not sports. Because until we learn to go vertical with God, 
nothing horizontally is going to make sense. Love, respect, submission, none of that. None of it works. God, man, we need you. We, we are so far, we are so far lost in our own minds, in our own hearts, and, and so full of sin in, in how we deal with, with life. God, I pray that, that our hearts would just be in tune with you and open to you, that, that we would learn how to love and respect according to your word, not how we think it should be. God, may the authority of your word begin to rule our lives. May we begin to sit down and say, okay, God, I'm willing to sit down and listen to what you have to say and focus there before I ever turn to my spouse and say anything to them. God, let it begin with us. Help it to begin with us because that's where it has to start in, in our relationship with you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for for David and Sarah being able to get away. Just pray you give them safety as they drive home today. Lord, I pray that whatever grief and turmoil is going on, whether it's someone at home or, or someone sitting here, that you would just bless them today. That you'd help us to grieve well whatever we're grieving. That you'd help us to, to, to have faith and to trust you. God, grow us in our marriages. Grow us in our relationships in love and respect. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the closing song, I